Good morning, everyone. Well, as James referred to, the fact that uh, this afternoon, uh, myself, along with uh, approximately over 100 million Americans, will watch the Super Bowl. They're estimating it's going to break yet another TV viewing record. But before we watch the big game this afternoon, I wanted to pause and consider a far more important team than either of the two teams that will take the field this afternoon for Super Bowl 50. And that, of course, is God's team. Super Bowls come and go, winners come and go, uh, MVPs come and go, but it is God's team and those who join God's team that end up making an impact with their lives that, that lasts for all of eternity. But many people either don't know how to join God's team or they don't feel qualified to join God's team. I mean, it is God's team, so how could any of us really feel qualified to be an important part of God's team? Well, in Philippians chapter 2, verse 25, we find a great summary of what it means to be a member of God's team. Here's what the Apostle Paul says in Philippians 2.25. He says, But I think it is necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker, and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. Now, in this message series, we've been talking about peace under pressure, how to find God's peace in the middle of, of the various pressures that we face in life. And that is the theme of the book of Philippians. But now, in this part of chapter 2, we get an inside look into how Paul, the author of this book, is facing the pressure that he's experiencing while he's waiting in a Roman prison for trial before Nero. And what's happening is Paul is, is getting help from members of God's team. And this is the way God often delivers help. Much of the help that God wants to give us is delivered through the members of his team. And so if we're not a part of God's team, if we're not on the team... Not only are we missing out on the, the privilege of being a part of what God's doing, but we often find ourselves cut off from a major portion of the help that God wants to give us. Now, Epaphroditus, who's mentioned in this verse, was a member of God's team at the church in Philippi. And Paul makes three interesting team member statements about Epaphroditus in this verse. He calls him his brother, fellow worker, and fellow soldier. And these three kind of identify what's involved in being a part of God's team and, and moving God's mission of that team forward. So we're going to look at these three this morning. The first statement he makes about Epaphroditus is he calls him his brother. And in order for us to be on God's team, we first need to join God's family. We have to join the family. You know, if you want to be on an NFL team, you have to be a part of the NFL family. You can't play for an NFL team and not join the league and not be a part of the NFL. You have to agree to play by their rules and abide by their code of conduct. Now, I would be happy to play by uh, the NFL rules and abide by their code of conduct and sign whatever document needs to be signed, but I will never play on an NFL team, and it should be obvious why, just by looking at me. I'm not, I'm not built for NFL football, and if you saw me throw a football or catch a football, it would only further confirm the fact that I'm never going to be playing on an NFL team, and the reason is because I'm just not good enough, and I suspect, kind of looking over all of you, um, none of you played or are going to play on an NFL team. For the same reason. Now, we have the same kind of problem when it comes to being on God's team. We're, we're not good enough. None of us are really qualified to be on God's team. We, we can't perform at the level that you would expect that God would require for us to be on His team. But God made a way for us to qualify morally and personally to be on His team. He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to earth to pay for the price of our sin through His death and resurrection. And now, if we will ask him to be 
First of all, our Savior, which means the only one who can forgive us, pay the price of our sin, and put our relationship with God right again. If we ask Him to be our Savior, and number two, if we ask Him to be our Lord, which means the only one that we're going to follow in life, our boss, the the one when we come to critical decisions, our, our top priority is to figure out what does He want us to do. If we make those decisions to ask Jesus to be our Savior and Lord, then we become a part of God's family. And as family members, we are not qualified. We're now qualified to be a part of God's team. Now, we're not just honorary members of this team, you know, those kind of people who sit on the sidelines and are members of the team for that week and they wear the team jersey, but they don't really do anything. They're just kind of on the sidelines. That's not what God has in mind for us. When we decide to follow Jesus, he he wants us to be a real critical part of his team. In order to make that happen, not only does he qualify us and forgive us, we are given the Holy Spirit, the actual presence of God inside. And that gives us two elements that are critical for us to be an active part of God's team. First of all, the Holy Spirit, God inside of us, gives us the power to do more than we could do just in our own abilities. The very power of God is now available to us, not only for us to grow, but for us to be used by God to accomplish something that is beyond our ability. And the second thing the Holy Spirit does is, is He gives us gifts, specific gifts that are to be used to be a member of God's team. And so now, just like this afternoon, when we look at the two football teams on the team, we are going to see a a collection of gifted and talented players. The same thing is true when you look at the members of God's team. They, they, They have power and gifts that are beyond what is normal. You can't tell it by looking at them, but over time, if you watch their life, you can see that there's more going on here than just natural human ability and natural human gifting. God himself is not only qualifying us, but giving us the gifts and abilities to be a member of his team. But it's not enough just to join God's family and be qualified and gifted to be able to be on God's team. We have to take this second step, and that is fellow worker. We have to actually join the team, join the church. You know, a fellow worker is working with others on a team somewhere. If you're going to call someone a fellow worker, what that means is you work at the same company or you're, you, you work at the same little league or you're in the same school, but in, in somehow you're, you're, you're part of the same group of people in a particular location. You are fellow workers. And once we decide to follow Jesus and become qualified to be on God's team, well, we need to join one. And God's team is like any team. You you don't join a team generally and at large. You join a specific team. You know, if someone tells you that they're a football player, what's the first question you probably ask them? Where? For who? Who do you play for? What team are you on? And if they look kind of dazed and they can't really come up with a team that they're playing for, then you have some real questions about whether they really are an active football player. Maybe they're inactive. Maybe they used to be on a team. But if you're an active football player, then you're on a team. You play football for somebody on a particular team. And and if they answer, you know, they, they tell you what team they play for, what might be your next question? What's your position? What, what do you do on that team? You know, what team are you on and what position do you play? This, the exact same thing is true for members of God's team. Someone informs you or you find out that they are a Christ follower, they're a Christian, one of the natural questions that just should, should come up in the conversation is, that's great, where? What team are you on? What, what church are you a part of? And, 
And if they're kind of vague and general, then, well, they might be Christ followers, but they're, they're inactive at this point. They're, they're not actually members of God's team because you can't be on God's team and not be a member of any specific part of God's team. And then the next question would be, well, then that's great. This is the church you're part of. What do you do there? What's your position? What, what's your role? How, how do you serve? What's your position? What, what do you do? But oftentimes we don't really think like that. We, we think that we can be a member of God's team and, and just kind of serve at large. But that's not the way any team works. And God's team doesn't work that way either. So every team, whether it's a sports team or whether it's God's team, has its values that describe how they work together as a team. And it's the same with the church. Now here at Seabreeze, we have seven New Testament values that, that we call heart attitudes. We, we do these things from our heart, not perfectly, but these are the directions, these are the values that we work together as a church. And I want to list these for you. We're going to go through these briefly. These describe who we are as a church, what we're trying to accomplish. This isn't, ever, this isn't everything about us as a church, but this describes how we work together. If you're using the listing guide, just go ahead and turn over on the back of your listing guide, and you'll see the, the seven heart attitudes listed there, and uh, we're just going to go through these um, before we move on to the next point. Hard attitude number one is this. Put the goals and interests of others above my own. This is a very practical definition of what it means to love, to really love somebody. And it's described in Philippians 2, verses 3 through 4, actually some verses we looked at just a couple of weeks ago. It says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Now, that doesn't mean they are better than you, but, but take a break from thinking you're the best person in the room and begin to consider others actually better than you. And this is how that looks. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. So rather than approach life and approach people from the angle of what can I get out of this relationship or how can I get this person to advance what I'm interested in, we turn that on its head and over and over again we choose to consider and act on what we can do to be of real help to somebody else. Now this doesn't mean we don't take care of our needs and we don't bear responsibility. No, what it means is that over and over again, we decide to set aside what we're interested in and set aside what we're trying to accomplish so that we can first of all consider and, and think about what is it that this person wants and is, is there something that I can do to really be of help to them? Now, if what they want is not good, we don't help them along that path, but people are interested in all kinds of things that are really good for them, so how, how could we be of help? How could we, in this moment, set ourselves aside and really help somebody. Now, this is a critical part of any team. Because in order to be on a team, you have to set aside your own selfish agendas for the sake of the team. And the way it works with the relationships on the team is it's as you sacrifice for one another that the camaraderie and the trust and the care and the team really begins to gel and the team can accomplish much more than it could before. This isn't just true of church. This is true of any team. Listen to what Paul says about Timothy another member of the team in Philippians chapter 2. He says it's just a few verses before the one that we read earlier, 25. He says this about Timothy in verse 20 and 21. I have no one else like him who takes a genuine interest in your welfare. For everyone looks out for his own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. What Paul is saying is Timothy is really rare. And what makes him rare is that he genuinely takes an interest in other people. That, that is very, very rare. 
for someone to stop thinking about themselves long enough to take a real interest in somebody else. But that's what it takes if you're going to move the advance, the interest of Jesus forward. Everyone's looking out for their own interests, not really those of Jesus Christ. But if we're going to be a part of God's team, then over and over again, we put the goals and interests of others above our own. We, we take a break from ourselves to serve and help them. Now, this is the first hard attitude because it, it really forms the foundation of how we work together as a team. If, if this doesn't occur, then over and over again, all the other things begin to break apart. Now, let's look at hard attitude number two. Live an honest and open life. Ephesians 4, 25. It says, Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we are all members of one body. So this attitude means that rather than approach life and approach people trying to cover up what we struggle with, we are appropriately honest with other people in the church. Now, what I mean by appropriately honest is we don't air all of our dirty laundry in front of everyone all the time. That's just too much information. It's not appropriate. But what it does mean is that there are a few in this church, if this is the church that we are, we are a part of, there are a few in this church that, that know us and that we trust and that they actually know what it is that we're struggling with. We're, we're not living secret lives. Who we portray ourselves to be on the outside is a, a, an accurate and reasonable representation of who we really are on the inside. You see, because if we don't really know the truth, then we can't really trust each other. It's critical to any team. And it's also critical for our own personal growth that we are honest. Because, you see, sin is it's like a nocturnal creature. It, 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 it feeds in the dark. Sin grows in the dark. And it's, it's as we step into the light and as we tell someone that we can trust the truth about what we're struggling with. At that point, sin begins to lose its power, but it's as we keep the secret and as we hide and as we pretend, that sin pattern, whatever it is, it just gets stronger and bigger and more difficult to, re to deal with. So we live an honest and open life. For us, the church is not the place that we show up to pretend that we're better than we really are. It's the place where we are honest and we can get some real help because of that, appropriately honest. Hard attitude number three, we give and receive scriptural correction. Hebrews 3.13 says this, encourage one another daily as long as it's called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. What naturally happens to all of us is, is over time, if there's no effort to counter it, is our hearts towards God will just grow hard. Your life will happen. We'll get upset about this. Someone will hurt us, and our hearts will just get harder and harder towards God. And the other thing that will happen is sin is going to deceive us. What that means is we could be doing things that are in complete opposition to what God wants, and, and we, we could be unaware of that. We could have convinced ourselves that we were completely right. So if we live in our own bubble, in other words, if we take the normal approach to growth, and that is that it's nobody's business but mine, then there's all kinds of help that we just can't get. Because we, we all have blind spots. We all have areas in our life where we just we can't see. And if, if we don't invite anyone to speak into our lives, anyone to say something to us, then, then we're just not, not going to make progress. And we're not going to be able to work together as a member of the team. So we decide that we want to be open appropriately. And we want to give and receive input because we have blind spots. And again, we do this appropriately. 
with people that we know and people that we trust, we invite them to say, you know, if, if you see something in my life, it would be so helpful to me if you could point it out to me. And when we do that to someone, we do that with kindness because we know that we've got blind spots just like they've got blind spots. But, but we help each other and we improve as a team because we're willing to, to have conversations about the things. And what this really means is, is we take our personal growth and sin very seriously. If we don't want to talk about it with anybody else, then we don't, that means we don't take it that seriously. But if, if we're willing to have conversations, well, that means we take it seriously. And what this means in part is that if right now there's an error in your life where God's word says this, and you've said, no, I'm going to do this, and you're not, you don't want to change, you've decided I'm not going to do that, then you're welcome here. We're so glad you're here and you can continue to learn and grow, but you're not ready yet to be a member of the team. Because team members have decided, you know what? The Bible is my authority, and I'm serious about this. I don't do it perfectly, but I struggle to do the right thing. I'm not, there's no area in my life where I've decided I'm, I'm just not going to do what God says. If that's where you are, again, you're welcome here, but you're not ready to be a member of the team. So we give and receive scriptural correction. Then number four, we clear up relationships. Matthew 5, 23 through 24. Jesus says this. He says, therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar... And there remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother. Then come and offer your gift. Now, Jesus here is describing a scene that would be clear to everyone that he said this to. He's describing the annual uh, trip to Jerusalem that the Jewish people would, would take. And they would have, during the year, they would have set aside their tithe, their gift to God. And then once a year, they would walk to Jerusalem, and they would stand in a line with their gift to offer it to God at the temple in front of the altar. And Jesus says, so if you're at that point, and you're in line, and at that point you realize someone's sideways with me, someone's upset with me, there's a problem in a relationship, and suddenly you, you become aware of that, what you do is you set your, this is amazing, you set your gift down and you go and deal with this, you go talk to the person, and you try to clear up this relationship. You reconcile with them. Now imagine how shocking that would have been. Questions like, well, who's going to watch my gift, and how am I going to get my place back in line? Those are secondary. The point Jesus is making is, whenever there's a break in a relationship, this is not something to back burner. This is something to move to the top of your priority list. This is something you, you stop what you're doing, and you go deal with this at your first possible way you can do that. Because if you let relationships and breaking relationships just go, it, it, they never get better. They get worse, and they get harder to deal with, and bitterness sets in, and everyone's position gets entrenched, and it gets really, really hard to clear things up. So at the moment you're aware of it, whether it's your fault or their fault, you go and talk to them. Now that's, again, very different than what we tend to do. Whenever we're upset with somebody, we don't go talk to them face to face. What do we do? We go talk about them behind their back. And the reason we do that is because then we retain full editing rights on the story. See, we get to tell the story from our perspective. And we can't be challenged because we're talking to someone who wasn't even there, doesn't even know what happened. It helps us feel a little better, but it, it causes problems that multiply between people over time. So rather than, than walking away from conflict, which is the tendency, and talking about the people we're upset with behind their backs... Whenever we're upset or we're aware that someone's upset with us, at the first possible chance, we go and talk to them, and we work to clear up that relationship. And what that often means 
is that we need to ask for forgiveness. It's not enough just to t- tell someone that's upset with you, well, I'm sorry. You know, that, that's, that's just a sentiment. That's just an emotion. If you're going to actually clear up the relationship, you need to talk about, well, what actually was said or what was done. And, and if you did something wrong, you need to ask them for forgiveness. That looks like this. If you said something hurtful, if you said something that was dishonest, then what you say is, would you forgive me? When I said this, it was a lie. Would you forgive me for lying? Would you forgive me for being harsh? And then when they say yes, well, then the relationship is repaired. There may be more work to be done to build trust again, but now the relationship is clear and and the two of you can move into the future with a chance of having a relationship and all the benefits that come with those, those relationships. But if all you do is say sorry and move on, then the problems just fester and they just keep building and the relationships are not repaired. So we clear up relationships. Now, these first four are how we relate to each other in individual relationships within the team, within God's church. These next three are how we relate to the church. So number five is participate in the work of the church. 1 Peter 4, verse 10 says this, Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. What this is saying is that God has, in his kindness and in his grace, he has given all of us gifts. And I talked about if you decide to become a follower of Jesus Christ, he's given you gifts from the Holy Spirit. And these gifts are not just for you. They're not just for your benefit. They do benefit you. But they're not to be open and leveraged just for your own personal advancement. The actual purpose behind these gifts is so that you can be a conduit that would administer God's grace through you to all kinds of other people. The purpose is to just pass this gift along, to to use this in service. That's why this is our heart attitude, participating in the work of the church. To be a part of this team means you actually have a role. You're taking the gifts that God has given you and you're using them, not just for yourself, but for the benefit of the team, for other people. And then that leads us to the next one, which is related, and that is number six, support the church financially. Jesus says this in Matthew 6, verses 19 through 21, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. Or to make it kind of updated in modern minds, it would say where the stock market can't devalue. So, For where your treasure is, and this is the point, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus makes it very clear. If your heart is in something, it always shows up in your bank statement. It just always does. You can't say that I really love this and this is really important to me and there's no evidence of that in your finances because there's a money trail and it doesn't lie. It always leads to what's really, really important. Now in scripture, God sets a giving standard. You may have heard of it. It's called the tithe. The word literally means tenth. And the standard is this. We, we give back to God and his work 10% of the income that he grants us. Now, the question that people often ask me is, why 10%? Sounds kind of random. And I really don't know why that's the, the, the kind of the standard, the threshold that God sets for giving back to him. But I, I've made some observations just in my life and in other people's lives that I've seen as as individuals tithe and even go beyond the tithe. One observation I've noticed is that tithing seems to be the point at which a person 
really decides that God is number one, that God is their top priority. And the reason is that because in order to tithe, you, you can't, usually you can't come up with 10% of your income on a monthly basis out of what's left over in your budget. 10% is, is usually too big for people just to kind of give the leftovers out of. I, I've yet to run across, and I'm, I'm sure there are, but I've yet to run across a person whose experience is, you know, at the end of every month, I keep having 10% more than I really need. That, that's usually not a challenge for any of us. So in order to do this, what it almost always means for all of us is, okay, I'm going to do this. This is going to be the first thing I do. And then I'm going to build my budget around the remaining 90%. I'm, I'm going to do everything else on the... But this needs to be the first decision. And when a person decides to do that, what they're really saying is, God's number one. Now, they may have been saying it for months, for years. But, but at this point, they actually have to do it. God really, really now is number one. The second thing I've observed is, oftentimes, tithing seems to be the point at which a person's faith in God becomes real, not just stated faith. Again, we can all say, oh yeah, I trust God. But it's at this point, and it usually involves our money, where we really have to trust God. And when a person gives 10%, almost always what that means is there's some part of their life that they really would rather have used that 10% for. And now they don't know where the money's going to come for that 10%. And so now they really, they really need to trust God. You know, for me, when our kids were little, over and over again, I thought, boy, I could sure use that 10% to help with all the expenses of a young family. And then as they moved into high school, it was like, boy, I could use that 10% for this. And then when they moved into college, it's like, I don't know how we're going to pay for college. 10% more would sure help. And now that I'm in my mid-50s, I'm, you know, I've been working on retirement, but, you know, how much do you need to save for retirement? And my, my retirement is like, well, not enough. So I, I, over and over again, I struggle with, God, I, you know, I really, <laughs> I'm trusting you to take care of me. I mean, I'm, I'm being responsible, but I could sure use that extra 10% to pad some retirement stuff to make things a little bit better than what projections seem to be right now. So we all have it, whatever the area is. But over and over again, almost all of us, if we're going to tithe, we have to say, God, I'm going to trust you with this. Really trust you with this. Not just say, but really trust you with this. And what I've seen happen when people begin to tithe is it seems to be the point at which God decides to bless their lives in all kinds of ways. I mean, I've seen people literally spend decades struggling in various areas, and they just, they, they, they know they should tithe, and they, they want to tithe, and they haven't tithed, they don't tithe. Finally, they decide to tithe, and it's like some of that stuff that's been stuck for decades, literally within months, it begins to break loose. I mean, I've seen this over and over and over and over again. It's the point at which God says, okay, you've decided I'm real. I'm going to show you that I, in fact, am real. But until this point, I don't respond to stated faith. I respond to real faith. So if this is all new to you, the tithing thing is new to you, then start somewhere. Start at some percentage and grow and move. If this is not new to you and you've been wrestling with this for years and decades, just save yourselves all kinds of trouble and just, just do this. Not for the sake of the church, but for you. Just start doing this. But for us at Seabreeze, this is one of our commitments. We support the church financially. We start giving and we grow. Number seven, hard attitude number seven, the last one is follow spiritual leadership in the church within scriptural limits. 
Hebrews 13, 17 says, Obey your leaders and submit to their authority. They keep watch over you as men who must give an account. Obey them so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no advantage to you. What this means is that the, the normal angle that we have in America on leaders is that it would be ridiculous to follow them. But see, that's not what the New Testament says about leadership in the church. This is speaking about leaders in the church. And so rather than, than look for ways to poke holes in leaders and describe how poor the leadership is and complain about leadership, what we choose to do is we choose to follow, thoughtfully follow the leaders that God has put in place. Now, we do this within scriptural limits. What that means is this is God's team. Just because I'm a leader here and there's others in leadership, this isn't our team. This is God's team. So if we lead the church out of the boundaries of Scripture, don't follow us. Now, but if we lead in a direction where you're thinking, yeah, I would rather go over here, but it's not outside of the boundaries of Scripture, then our heart is like, well, we thoughtfully, we ask questions and we let our opinions know, but at the end of the day, if the church is going this way, then I'm not going to complain and tell everyone else, like, I think they're idiots. I'm just going to head this way. I'm, I'm going to move this way with a good heart. Again, this is, this is required. All of these are required of anyone that's on any team. So this is what we're trying to do together as a church. Now, I could say a whole lot more about all seven of these. But, but this describes basically what these seven mean. And we don't do these seven perfectly. But they guide how we do church together. And if you want to be a member of this team, what you're saying is, yeah, I want to do those seven. And when I don't do it well, I get up and I work at doing it better. But these are the, these, I, want to do the, I want to be a part of this team, and I want to live out these values. Now, this afternoon, if you're going to watch the Super Bowl, much of the attention is going to be probably on the quarterbacks. And we've got Cam Newton, who just was named MVP of the NFL in his first Super Bowl. We've got Peyton Manning, who this will probably be his last Super Bowl, most likely his last game, a great quarterback over the years. So all the talk is going to be about the stars. The quarterbacks, definitely, and probably some wide receivers and running backs. But the game itself will be won or lost in the trenches. You may have heard this term when it comes to football. Here's a picture of the trenches. This is what they mean by the trenches. That's the term that's used to describe the line of scrimmage. That's the line where the offense and the defensive lines line up, and the ball is hiked, and they do battle. They push against each other. Now, I describe this because my understanding of, of, of the church team is that these hard attitudes define the trenches in church life. It, it, this is where the real battles occur. It's not that visible. You know, me standing up here, that's kind of visible. Other things that we, you know, this building's kind of visible. But, but it's these hard attitudes that describe the trenches, the real battles about and that determines what we can or cannot do as a church, whether we win or lose in certain ways. Because it's at these hard attitudes where we decide as individuals with nobody looking, no interviews, no cameras, it's where we decide whether or not we're going to be selfish right now or not. Whether or not we're going to give this month or not. Whether or not we're going to follow or not. Whether are we going to serve or not. And everybody makes that decision freely for themselves. And these are the trenches. And like in football, the line isn't, isn't where the attention is focused. It's on you know, the other people, but, it, but it's where the battle is won or lost. And as a team, 
as a church team, this is where we do battle. These seven define the line of scrimmage, and this is where we all struggle. This is where we do battle. If we do better as a church, we do better here. If we do worse at this line, as a church, we do worse. So that's fellow worker. That's how we work together. Now, turn your message insert back over to the front, and we'll look at the last description that Paul gave. Paul lastly told, about, told us about Epaphroditus. He said, he's a, he's a fellow soldier. He's my fellow soldier. What that means is Epaphroditus paid a, paid a deep price for the team, for God's team. This is, this, this third one, this third description, this, this is when team members go above the minimum required. You don't have to do this to be a member of God's team. But if enough people on the team don't do this, the team doesn't win. What's the difference between worker and soldier? Paul called Epaphroditus, first of all, a fellow worker and then a fellow soldier. What's the difference? Well, it's the level of commitment. You know, when, when conditions are hard on the job and you as a worker decide to leave and get another job somewhere else, that's fine. What's that? That's just, just a career move. You have every right to do that. There's no problem with you doing that. But what if a soldier on the battlefield decides things are getting really hard and they decide to leave? What's that called? That's called desertion. Because a soldier is held to a whole different standard than a worker. A soldier, well, what's a soldier's commitment? To pay whatever price is necessary, to even die if needed, to advance the mission. That's soldier-level commitment. And this is what was true of Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus had been chosen by the church in Philippi to travel to Rome and bring Paul help. Probably brought food, probably brought money, probably brought some scrolls with letters from them for encouragement, brought his presence. But he nearly died in the process. Now, we don't know all of what happened. We're not given the details, but it appears that, that when Epaphroditus got sick, he, he could have turned around at that point and hightailed it back home and rested and recovered. And that would have been a, you know, an understandable and rational thing for him to do. But instead, he decided to keep going. And he almost died in the process. And here's, here's what Paul says now that he's sending him back. Verse 29 through 30 says, Welcome him and the Lord. See, Epaphroditus is delivering this letter back. If Epaphroditus had decided, yeah, we wouldn't, we wouldn't be reading this letter. He's bringing this letter back. And Paul says, welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honor, honor men like him because he almost died for the work of Christ. Risking his life to make up for the help you couldn't give me. Now, to be honest, there are not many with soldier level commitment to God's team. There are not many. They are the few. And here at Seabreeze, I think God is God has blessed us with a number. I'm not aware of anyone at this church on this team that has almost died to be a part of this team. But over the years, I have seen people sacrifice tremendously to advance this team. I mean, I've, I've, seen, I've seen people actually, and this is actually turned down promotions and more income so that they could stay in this community and simply to be a part of this church. That's almost unheard of. Only soldiers would do that. I mean, soldiers don't serve for the pay. They serve for the mission. I've seen some, some step way out of their comfort zones just 
to serve in an area of the church that they know we need help in. And they, you know, they've, they've gotten really tired doing this, way above just normal worker level service. I've seen a number really pay a price to get trained. You know, to, to take advantage of some of the training opportunities we have here and some of the training opportunities that, that we travel to. I, I've seen just a few take, pay the price to do that. I've seen many endure some of the real hard times we've had as a church with courage and commitment and faith. I mean, every church needs workers to advance the gospel, but there are times in every church, in every church life, where it takes soldiers to keep things from falling apart. People for whom they say, I don't care, I'm not leaving. I don't care how hard it gets. And they say, their response is, God, men and women who say, God, I'll, I'll, I'll do whatever I need to do. I'll give whatever you tell me to give to move this thing forward. These, these few are the one Paul says, these are the men and women that are worthy of honor. These, these are the ones that churches wouldn't exist if it wasn't for people like this. You know, one of the things that just happened recently here in our church that I think indicates that there are a number of individuals in this church that, that see this team at a soldier-level commitment is one of the evidences is just the Christmas offering we finished. I mean, last year the giving was, was very good at Seabreeze. And I debated whether we should offer the Christmas offering, an opportunity to give above and beyond out of gratitude to God, you know, above, beyond the tithe, beyond whatever you're giving. And we decided, no, we, we really want to try to do more to help some of the mission partners that we're partnering with and to do some things here on the site that we think will really help us reach more people next year. So we did this. Last Sunday was the last Sunday to contribute to this. And above and beyond what, what you were giving as a church, we gave $90,000. It's just, you know, how un-American of you. It's just, it's just amazing. Now we're going to be able to, you know, resource some of the mission partners both locally and beyond with what they're doing. And, and I think literally thousands of lives could be changed by some of these gifts. Well, we won't know until it's all added up in heaven. That'll be a fun day. In recent years, a new approach to sports has kind of become popular with sports fans. And it's the whole fantasy sports thing. You know, maybe you play fantasy football or baseball. You know, you, you choose. The way it works is you choose your players. I mean, these are real players you choose. And you form an imaginary team, therefore the term fantasy. And your team wins or loses based on the individual performances of the players that week on the real teams that they play for. Now, I've, I've not done this. It, it does sound like a ton of fun. I just personally right now I don't have the time. <laughs> but I, I would love to do this with a few sports. Sounds like a lot of fun. Now, fantasy football, for example, is, is driven by individual stats, not by the wins and losses of any, any team in particular. It's all individual stats driven. And I think it's interesting because this really is the approach that our culture takes to life in general. It's all about the individual stats, not the team. It's all about our individual performance and how amazing we are or are not. Our statistics, not the team stats. And so in a sense, I think what we tend to do is we tend to play fantasy life. You know, it's all about us and our individual stats. But in real life, it's all about God's team, the church. That's what it's about. 
I mean, our value is attached to our contribution to the advancement of the team, not our individual advancement. In the end, we'll stand before Jesus and he'll want to know about the contributions we made to his team, to his body. Our individual stats are, I don't think they're really going to be a factor. It's the sacrifices for the team that God's going to notice and that God will honor. So I've described what it means from this verse to be a part of God's team. And now I just want to give you the opportunity to join this team, this part of God's team, this church. Now, and the reason that I want to give you this opportunity is because in the past, it was really obvious, especially when the New Testament was written, it was really obvious uh, who the members of God's team were. Now it's not so obvious. The reason it was obvious in the past is because in the past, if you want to know who, who was on God's team, it was just whoever showed up for any gathering of the church. Because if you showed up, you were risking your life because it was illegal, punishable by death. If that was true here, this would be a much smaller group. We'd all be risking our lives right now, and I'd be talking much quieter and probably in some other room. It'd be a smaller group. But there would be no question, how committed are we? Oh, we're committed. But now, in the current political environment, for which I'm very grateful, the, the commitment needs to be stated because it's not obvious. That's why we simply let people tell us, hey, I want to be a member of the team. I, I, I agree with this, and I want to do this. So I want to give you the chance to state your commitment. Now, again, it's your decision, no pressure. So I want everyone to go ahead and take out the connection card, whether you want to join the team or not, just so you can kind of see what we're doing. You can do what you want to do, but I want to walk you through the commitments of what it means to be a team member. And as we go through, if you want to be a member of this team, then just circle yes. If not, that's fine. We're not going to single you out at all. But first of all, these are the three requirements. First of all, if you're going to be a member of this team, you need to be a follower of Christ, what we talked about originally. You need to be a member of the, of the league. You need to be part of God's family. And you become that by being a Christ follower. So if you are a Christ follower, then circle yes. If not, circle no, that's fine. If you have some questions about this and, and would like us to contact you to explain a little bit more about what we are talking about, what this actually means, then just circle interested. Commitment number two, I was baptized following that decision. Now, the reason this is important is because this is what Jesus said would be the public indication of someone who's made this decision. When someone is baptized, they're, they're immersed in the water. That's what the word baptize mean, means. It's, it's a Greek word, baptizmo, that literally means to immerse. So they're put into the water and raised up out of the water. So if you've made that decision, then you can be a member of this team. Now, if someone made the decision for you, if your parents did it for you, that's fine. But that's not what Jesus is talking about here. Jesus is saying, you do it. It's a step of obedience. I can't obey for you. You can't obey for me. We all need to obey for ourselves. So if you did this, if your parents did this for you, again, that's fine. But you need to take this step yourself. The next baptism we have, if you've not been baptized, is April 10th. So you can just circle interested and say, you know, I, I want information on that. And we'll get that to you. So again, I was baptized following that decision. Yes or no or interested. Then lastly, I commit to advance the mission and values of Seabreeze. This is what we've talked about this morning. These are the, the hard attitudes, what we're trying to accomplish. Now, again, nobody does this perfectly, but if you want to be a member of this team, what you're saying is, yes, I want to live my life by these navigational settings. I want to learn how to do these. I want to grow in these. And if that's true of you, then great. Circle yes. If you have some more questions, circle interested. And then lastly, 
what we do for team membership here is it's just a one-year commitment because everyone's life changes and shifts. And if God's moving you to another team, that's, that's fine. We just kind of want to make sure we're all clear. So we forgot to put the word yes here. So if you want to renew your, if you've already made this commitment earlier, you've been a part of the church in the past, and you want to renew your team member commitment for 2016, then just circle that phrase right there. You want to renew it. And then sign at the bottom. And then because all of our signatures are not very legible, make sure we've got your information on the front so we know who it is that signed that. Just make sure we got that information on the front. Then you can just put this in the offering bucket in just a moment when I have the ushers come uh, past the offering bucket. And then you can become a team member or have your membership renewed at that point. When everything is said and done with our lives, it will be the contribution that we make for God's team that will matter. At that point, all of the amazing stuff you see in the Super Bowl will be forgotten this afternoon. No, no one will remember that. It'll be forgotten. But what we do for God's team, that's, that's going to be remembered. Let's pray together. Jesus, we, uh, we first of all thank you for the price that you paid to qualify us to be a part of your team. And Jesus, the church is your idea. You are the one that said you would build your church. You're the one that even chose the word church, which literally means those called to gather in your name. You said you would build it, and you said that the very best that hell could throw against it would not wipe it out. And we know that we're just a bunch of flawed, normal people. But you've qualified us through your mercy to play a significant role in what you've done, what you want done here. So I pray that you would put this particular team together to do your work in this community and in the places you've led us to partner with around the world. Show us the assignments you want us to have and the sacrifices you want us to make. And I pray that as a result of us working together under your leadership, that this year we would see many, many people come to know you and many marriages repaired, many relationships repaired. And we would see this community begin to turn and change. We don't have the power to do that, but with the Holy Spirit and together, things that are far beyond our imagination can be accomplished. We pray that you would do that. Much more than we can ask or imagine would be accomplished. We pray this now in your name, Jesus. Amen.